the latest in agricultural media and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network podcast, and here's your host, Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome to episode number three of the AgCom Network podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Litchfield, and I am so excited about my interview today. Joining the podcast is Sarah Wyant of AgriPulse Communications. We are going to talk about her coverage in D.C. and specifically her one-on-one interview with President Donald Trump. But before we go too far, Sarah, tell us a little bit about your background in agriculture and how you got started in journalism. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to have a wonderful career in journalism. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Iowa. My family still farms there, raising corn, soybeans and wine grapes uh, for a, a winery. Uh, my husband and I now own a farm in North Dakota, which is a cow-calf operation, small grains, alfalfa, and uh, honeybees there. So we have kind of diversified backgrounds uh, in agriculture. But I graduated from Iowa State with a degree in journalism and minors in political science and English and had the wonderful opportunity to be an intern for Wallace's Farmer, which is a farm state magazine in Iowa, uh, similar to Prairie Farmer. And then when I graduated, have a chance to work for Farm Progress. At that time was Wallace's and Prairie Farmer and Indiana Prairie Farmer and the Wisconsin Agriculturist. So uh, really great uh, grounding in Midwestern agriculture uh, as a background. And then uh, had a chance to go to Farm Progress where at one time I'd been an intern and then become vice president of editorial for all their magazines. Ranging from American agriculturist in New York to California farmer in California and a lot of places in between. So uh, we went through a lot of different changes in ownership. Some folks don't know this, but Prairie Farmer was part of ABC for many, many years uh, because they wanted to buy WLS radio. And in order to do that, they got state farm magazines. The Farm Progress Group was owned by ABC, then Cap Cities bought ABC, then they were bought out by Disney, so we were Musketeers um, for a while, and then uh, Disney decided to sell off the non-entertainment assets, and so um, during that time, I had great exposure to some of the other folks in ABC and Disney, uh, but then we got sold off to Rural Press Limited, and uh, that was an Australian firm. And so during that time, got to visit Australia. And through all of this, of course, I was very active in AAEA and uh, learned a lot through the association, gained uh, tons of good friends and uh, mentors. And so that was very, very important to me. Um, and then um, a couple of times in between, uh, once in the mid 80s, I quit the company to work as uh, my own company called AgriPulse. And then uh, later on uh, in 2002, uh, we went through a lot of changes at Rural Press and I didn't have a job anymore and was doing some consulting. And, and one of my friends said, you know, we really liked it when you used to do a newsletter like I did in the 80s. It was in print then. Uh, in early 2000, I could do it all electronic. 
So I borrowed 5,000 from a friend and launched my business. And so this is 14 years later. And here you are today. That's right. Wow. Thank you for sharing your timeline because I'm just sitting here thinking of all the shifting and changing you have seen in your career in agriculture, specifically in agriculture media. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Well, there's been a tremendous amount of change, primarily in technology. When I started in 1980, uh, we didn't have computers in the office. We were making double copies with carbon paper and uh, handing one off to be run down to you know the presses. So it, that has changed dramatically. I was one of the early adopters of new technology, brought a computer in the office, and I can remember my coworkers saying, "We're never going to use one of those." Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, we've all adapted and. Uh, the technology continues to change and in so many ways make our jobs easier because yes. we can do things like you and I are doing right now. Right. Uh, we, we can um, publish all electronically. And so I don't have to run to a printer and run to the post office and all that kind of stuff I used to do in the eighties with my newsletter. Yes. So it's made our jobs a lot easier, but also uh, in some ways more time consuming because you're never really off. You have to make sure that when I get a text, as I often do, four o'clock in the morning, somebody has a question, you know, do you answer it or do you shut your phone off? Well, I answer. Um, and so, you know, it makes for some late nights and early mornings, but we've got a great team now of five really great professionals in Washington, D.C., working in our company and freelancers all around the country that are contributing. And so um, it just, uh, takes a bigger village to stay on top of everything. We were talking about that, Sarah, before we went live, um, talking about how you were kind of looking through Twitter to see if any breaking news was coming out. And I told you, if there's any breaking news, go ahead and share it online. But And then you spoke to how um, your phone never really turns off, and I'm kind of the same way. I set some boundaries sometimes. I'm the kind of person that always wants to be in the know of what's happening and checking Twitter for any um, breaking news or any developments and anything that's happening, either it's in Washington, D.C. or here in the state of Illinois where I'm located. Probably one of the Twitter users that you follow is kind of the topic we're going to talk about today is President Trump. I'm sure you refresh his feed daily to see what he's tweeting about. Yes, I do, as well as several other public officials. And uh, we make sure that we're trying to follow these things because there can be breaking news just through one of the president's tweets. And sometimes that's very market sensitive. If he, for example, says anything about tariffs on China, if they go ahead and implement those tomorrow, you know, that will be very, very impactful on farmers and ranchers. So most days I get up and scroll through our Twitter feed and make sure that I'm not missing anything. And that's how I kind of get my news in the morning. In addition to reading Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, LA Times, I, I kind of go through a list. Good. I, I know several people that do that, and I've been trying to make that a habit as well. Um, we were talking about digital, but I still like that concrete in my hands, um, reading the newspaper or magazine or anything like that. Well, um, I read all the digital editions, so yeah, I don't have I mean, them I do, I do both, but I'm still one of those people. People say, oh, newspapers are going to die out. I don't believe that. Um, I think everyone still likes a good copy in their hand, but digital is convenient, like we've talked yeah. about. Well, I, I would agree with you, Kelsey. I mean, I still do like to be able to pick up a book or a magazine, too. 
Mm-hmm. So um, to what were our main focus today, but we've been talking about a little other things, which has been great, is your interview with President Trump. And like I said in the beginning, this might be as close as I'll ever get to interviewing him. I don't know. Who knows? I don't. But I wanted to talk about the nuts and bolts of your interview. So, Sarah, do you want to kind of start with how you got this opportunity to interview him at the American Farm Bureau Convention, which was this past winter, correct? Correct. It was in January, and we were asked if we would be interested. Uh, obviously, you know, the White House press team has to be able to understand that, that you know, you are somebody that's going to be knowledgeable about these issues. And so they enabled Farm Bureau to select two different media companies, uh, in addition to President Duvall. So here's how it followed. Uh, basically, they asked us if we'd be interested. Of course, we were. Uh, we were uh, going through the process with uh, prior to the president's speech at Farm Bureau. So if you haven't ever done this before, basically, uh, they didn't ask you for questions in advance or anything like that, which we weren't interested in doing. Uh, what they do is that uh, you go through security clearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of that is like hours before you're going to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so the three people that were going to do the interview were President Zibby Duvall, from American Farm Bureau Federation. He, he spoke to the president first and they videotaped that and then RFD TV and then uh, AgriPulse. And so we go through all the clearance, the dog sniffing, all that kind of stuff, go up and see the room, do the camera setup. And Spencer Chase, who you know on our team was in charge of the camera and Phil Brasher, our senior editor was there with me. And so you set everything up and you get the ground rules from the gal who at this time was a gal who was coordinating everything. And she basically said, here's how you do your setup. Uh, but when you leave the room, you know, all the cameras have to be turned around, except for the one that is going to be live at that time. Uh, and then you go out and you sit in the hallway uh, in the bowels of the hotel for a couple hours. Um, In this case, we did have a chance to leave for a little bit and come back. Uh, Mm -hmm. But lots of times you, you know, you hurry up and you wait. And so uh, President Duvall did his thing, RFD did theirs, and we were each told we'd have about five minutes. And, you know, that's not much time, but uh, for our purposes, we knew that we wanted to ask questions about key issues that were on the minds of farmers and ranchers. And that's how we approached the interview, basically. What could we ask him that he would actually be knowledgeable about and be able to give us some insight into how he looked at these issues? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we did. I mean, we weren't going to go in there and ask him some softball questions about, you know, don't you like American farmers? Uh, our first question, my first question was, are you really going to withdraw from NAFTA? He flowed really well with his answers. And I know there's a lot of people that don't care for President Trump, but you got to give him credit for understanding agriculture issues and being conversant on them Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that I thought was, uh, you know, very good from compared to the other presidents that we've talked to. And it's not a long list, Mm -hmm. uh, but I shared with you my photo I keep in the office of George Herbert Walker Bush, he was one of my first interviews. And then we had a chance to interview President Obama shortly before he was first elected. Uh, Stuart Doan on our team did that over the phone. So this was nice to have that live interview. You walk in the room, you 
the camera turns around and you're on. So um, you either make it or break it in that five minutes. As I told you earlier, I did watch the video. You can see kind of his body language and things like that. And um, for those that are interested in watching this video, I'll link it up in the show notes later on so that you have a link to um, watch the video. And Sarah, I'm kind of curious how this interview compared. You mentioned AgriPulse has interviewed two other presidents. How did this one compare to past interviews with the presidents? Did anything stick out to you in particular? Well, as I mentioned, you know, we have as an industry collectively, I think, gone and watched the State of the Union and watched speeches with a president and really wondered if he would mention farm or agriculture or, you know, anything to do with our industry. And in this interview, I talked to him about NAFTA. I talked to him about other trade agreements. He explained how he really likes bilaterals uh, as compared to multilaterals. I asked him about farm bill. He talked about crop insurance. We talked about immigration. I mean, he covered a lot. He really was able to answer almost all these questions in a way. Um, some of it wasn't consistent. For example, in his budget, they proposed a 30 billion cut in crop insurance. But when you ask him, he said, yeah, I really like crop insurance and I really want to get a farm bill done. Uh, so, you know, there were some contrasts with some previous things that had been issued by the administration. But for the most part, I think he really was able to roll with any question you could throw at him in, in terms of some of these key issues. And um, you continue to hear this president say, we love the farmers and he wants to do things. Now, whether or not his trade policies end up hurting a lot of farmers, uh, we're already seeing pork producers suffering from the tariffs uh, from China and from uh, soon to be from NAFTA uh, imposed disputes over steel and aluminum. So, um, you know, time will tell how history will judge how he's really impacted agriculture, but he can sure talk about it. Yeah. Um, you mentioning all those different issues. How is it for AgriPulse? How important is it to cover all these different topics? Everything from trade to the farm bill, these are deep-rooted topics. How does your team go about making sure that you cover such a broad industry, specifically in Washington, D.C.? Well, we do have a really talented team, and they're veteran reporters for the most part, uh, Spencer's a little newer on our team, but uh, he joined us again as an intern and has done a, a great job of, of just immersing himself in these issues. And so if you work on our staff, you need to be able to go to an event and maybe it's not what you wrote about last, but you, you might have to jump from a trade to a renewable fuel standard to a nutrition issue. Uh, all of these things, as our readership at AgriPulse has grown in our viewership, uh, we want people who can ask the kinds of tough questions yeah. that, will, that will yield results. Because people want to know, what does this mean to me? Why is it important? And why should I devote my time to reading or watching or listening to something AgriPulse does unless they can provide that? Right. I think you just hit the nail on the head talking about journalism in general. Nowadays, with so much information and with the internet and social media, there's so much information out there, but people just want to know, how is this going to impact me and what should I do about it? They want the information then and there right now in the moment. And I think that goes to show with social media, like we talked about earlier, all this connects breaking news and making sure people get in there. But how do you handle being a credible source as well? I know while we're on the topic of talking about President Trump, 
the hashtag fake news has become such a trend right now in the journalism world. How do you combat and make sure you are a credible source with your followers? Well, it comes with our brand promise of really having the balanced reporting and the unique insights that our, our team is, is able to offer. Um, we pride ourselves on having the balanced reporting that we're going to talk to Republicans and we're going to talk to Democrats and we're going to talk to critics and um, make sure that that's part of our mix of reporting mm -hmm. so that um, people know that they can trust our insights. And when it comes from us, and I think that uh, this was a kind of a fun moment at Commodity Classic this year, that um, Secretary Purdue was uh, not very happy with some of the coverage that he was reading and he challenged us on whether or not it was our reporting as it turns out it wasn't ours but somebody in the group and one of the other fellow reporters stood up and said if it's from agripulse it's accurate and i think people understand that and they do trust us because it's not that we don't ever make mistakes that we don't ever have typos or something like that but uh, we are going to approach every issue with that kind of honest lens that people have been known to trust. Yes, thank you for answering that because I know it can be a tough question talking about credible news sources and how people throw the media out as all bad nowadays, but thank you for answering that with your honesty. Um, and I know it's not an easy topic to talk about. Kind of shifting gears, I wanna to talk to you specifically about being a woman in this industry. I, and a lot of people think that agriculture is a male-dominated field and not so much anymore. Many women are rising to be farmers and other professions in this industry. But as a woman and as a journalist, how do you take initiative and take direction in your career? Well, I think I've always been committed to lifelong learning, and that is a skill set that I would recommend for any young journalist, and that is that you learn not only about the issues, but you learn about the people and you build relationships. Mm -hmm. And in our business, having those relationships, people you can call on, people, when I started my career, Cole Henderson was uh, the first female reporter that had been hired by Prairie Farmer. I was uh, the second in, in modern day ages. I mean, Zoe Murphy had been back in the 1930s at Wallace's Farmer. But so here we had come along and, and really started to break some barriers. And when I was named VP of Farm Progress, I was the first female to break through that management layer. So um, you do run into a few folks who really are um, aware that you're a, a female and that it's different. But for most of my career, Kelsey, uh, people have respected what I've been able to bring in terms of talent and uh, relationships. And so uh, I just say continue to work those and, and to let people know that you're interested in them and you're interested in the overall success of the company or the effort, whatever you're working on. No, that's good because that was one of, one of my ending questions I've been asking guests is what's your biggest piece of advice to young journalists? as a respected journalist in your own industry. Do you have anything to add to that too, specifically to younger journalists? Again, I, I, I like people who have this natural curiosity and they wanna keep asking questions and, and they're also willing to listen uh, and to learn. And so mm -hmm. those, those qualities I think are, are very important as well as to continue to stretch yourself. I mean, there are days I write about things I don't know anything about, but I figure out who I need to talk to and who I can trust as a source. And mm -hmm. 
know, you push yourself into some new areas because if you always stay just in this one little pathway, you're never really going to be able to spread your wings. So uh, I think that those are the kind of natural characteristics that you want somebody to have in an employee. And if you ask my employees, they can tell you that sometimes they, you know, we throw them into the deep end and they've all been swimming just fantastically. So (laughs) kind of the reoccurring theme of this podcast, which I know we're we're only in the third episode, but kind of the reason I wanted to start this podcast is because I think we're always learning, no matter if you're my age and your early 20s, or you're a distinguished journalist who has been in the industry for 30, 40 years, I think it's important to always keep learning. And I often quote my commencement speaker, who was Nick Offerman, who played Ron Swanson in the um, hit show Parks and Recreation. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. But he told us to always maintain the attitude of a student and to keep learning. Because I firmly believe you'll never know everything, but you can sure try to make sure that you're learning and working towards a common end goal. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, The other thing that I think is really important, and and at least in our style of journalism, is that I tell our crew that I like to practice the Wayne Gretzky style of journalism, and that is I don't always want to be talking about what's happening now. I want to be like Gretzky and thinking about where the puck's going and where we need to be focused on in the future so that you're always going to have to, like the Farm Bill passes the Senate Ag Committee as it as it just did. You're going to be writing those stories. What's in it? What does it mean? But then let's think what's next. What's What are the politics around uh, whether or not how it moves to the Senate floor? What are the expected amendments? And so you need to be looking ahead as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's good advice. I think not only relevant to you're talking about covering ag policy, but covering a lot of topics, whether you're in or out of agriculture and looking to how you can um, serve your audience better. Because at the end of the day, as journalists, we're serving an audience, like we talked about earlier, and they want to know how this is going to impact them and when. So that's very good information. Sarah, is there anything else you want to share? It can be anything about journalism or covering Washington, D.C., or a favorite story you may have. Oh, gosh, I've got a lot of favorite stories uh, from over the years. And, you know, I kind of carried it as a a badge of honor in the last month. uh, You know, you've got both Republicans and Democrats who have called me up or said something like, you know, you need to do more of this or more of that. I think it's a testimony to our our balance uh, that we provide. Uh, if you've got people on both sides of the aisle occasionally upset with you, uh, that's that's a pretty good thing in, in my business. I, I'd have to say one of my favorite stories was uh, dating back to the first time I started to do our CEO salary report. Uh, this uh, was stimulated by some discussions that were happening between the American Soybean Association and the United Soybean Board when the United Soybean Board was first started. And I had uh, at that time, and this will really date me, Kelsey, at that time I got a late night fax without any tracks on it. So I couldn't tell what number it came from. And somebody said, you really got to check into Ken Bader's salary. I think he's making like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and so I thought, well, 
I don't know what he makes and I'm not sure how I'm going to find out what he makes, but how do you publish Ken Bader's salary and not put the corn growers or the cotton council or, you know, put it in perspective. Um, And so then that was when it led to finding out that every nonprofit files a 990 and on that 990 with the IRS, you can also find salary levels. And so we got those and, and uh, I at first only published those core commodities, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was a it was a very delicate process. Nobody had ever done it before. And as you can imagine, if you're the CEO, you're not probably used to people thinking that they should all know your salary, maybe your board. Uh, so we published that. And when I was in the process of finalizing it, I went to one CEO whose name I've never revealed. And I said, you know, I'm doing this and I explained the background that I just explained to you. And <clears throat> we'd like to include you. And he said to me, you know, Sarah, I would love to know what Ken Bader makes at the American Soybean Association. But if you, and he pointed his finger at me, if you ever publish my salary, I will never speak to you again. Wow, you know, and so, and I, you know, I'm just a few years out of school doing this thing and I'm thinking, well, you know, I got the CEO, you know, giving me the, the strong message that he's never going to talk to me. But it was just, I mean, it was just wrong, you know, I, so I did it. I published his salary and everybody else's and, and he never, he never spoke to me again, ever, ever. And he had his staff not take phone calls from me either. So I'd have to sneak around I can find them in Washington, D.C. pubs or on the hill at receptions in order to talk to him because he didn't want to talk to me. But he didn't stay there much longer, and so it passed. But uh, we're in the middle of working on our annual CEO report again now. It's uh, grown to a much more extensive report, and so we've got hundreds of CEO salaries. It takes a lot of digging. Uh, We'll be working on it for the next month or so. And uh, it's that kind of in-depth investigative reporting that I really love for our team to do in addition to the daily things. It's not necessarily a popularity contest, but that's not what our job is. Our job is to bring people perspective. And I'm very proud of the fact that we have organization leaders now who, if they want to switch jobs or if they just want to know if you're a board member, what's an appropriate level for somebody working in Washington, D.C. or St. Louis or Chicago, What's the appropriate level of pay given the size of the organization? They call up and they ask for our report. I think that was a very good note to end on, talking about the honest reporting. And I think that goes for all the journalists out there listening to this podcast is being honest in this profession. I think you'll want over a lot more people than staying silent. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah, so much. I know you're a very busy person. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your insight and perspective into covering Washington, D.C. and your interview with President Trump. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kelsey. It's been my pleasure. Thank you to all who tuned in to the live stream and this podcast episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Just enter in the AdCom Network podcast into the search bar and you'll be able to subscribe. And also follow AAEA on Facebook. That way you can stay up to date on all our future live streams. Thank you, everyone. Again, I'm your host, Kelsey Litchfield. Talk to you next time. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. 
And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.